when somebody's like, I need to be here for work or I'm here for my career, it's like, dog, if you've been on Twitter for two years and you have not leveled up your career, maybe Twitter is not the place for you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Airplane Mode. I'm your host, Clay Skipper. I'm excited about today's episode, our second episode, because I think it is something everyone can relate to. It's about being on the internet. The problem with being on the internet, I find, is that it is not always conducive to me being my best or most productive self. So I was hoping to find someone who might help me with that, which is why I'm happy to welcome on Aminatu So. Aminatu is probably best known for co-hosting the podcast Call Your Girlfriend, but she's also someone who has amassed a pretty serious social media following and who some might call an influencer. She's hesitant to call herself an influencer uh, for reasons that she gets into in our discussion, but she's someone who really wields that influence in positive ways, and she just seems highly productive and deeply thoughtful, and I thought she might be someone who could help me unpack some of these complications and pitfalls of being online all the time. So we got into a bunch of that. It was an interesting discussion. She talked about personal brands, which is an idea that pops up again and again, I feel like. And she talked about why they're good and bad and how she built hers. She answered the question she always gets online, which is, how do I become an influencer? And she talked about confronting her trolls, which is something she's actually done. She's tracked them down and called them up. So she had some interesting things to say about that. I think she did help me understand how to be a better person online, though I guess I'll let you guys decide that. And also help me understand how to sort of best protect my time offline to still get things done. So all of that's in there. I enjoyed the conversation very much. Enjoyed hanging out with her and hope you guys enjoy it too. Today's guest is Amina So, who it turns out is quite difficult to intro succinctly. She's a former digital strategist, Currently is an influencer working with Smartwater. She helped co-found, or she did co-found Tech Lady Mafia, a resource for women in tech and the digital economy to sort of collaborate and network. She moderates panels. She writes. Did I miss anything else? No. What doesn't she do? I'm exhausted. <laughs> that sounds great. So I was recently going through your Twitter. Mm -hmm. Do you automatically delete your old tweets? Yes. Because I, I couldn't, do. I didn't get very deep. I do. I delete old tweets a lot. And I think the first time that I did it was a couple of years ago. And I was really conflicted about it because I was like, ugh, this is a good archive of witty statements I've made. But I, you know, it's it didn't spark joy, so it really had to go. And I think that for me, it's also just a good practice. I watch how social media gets weaponized a lot. And having things that I said out of context, you know, like, and to be clear, it's not like I said anything bad. I just thought that like all of these dumb observations that I had, it was okay to just let them go. And yeah, and so that feels fine. When you think about the number of eyeballs that are on you, the number of just, you know, like people who you don't know for better or worse, who can make a snap judgment about what you mean and what you're saying. And so thinking about yourself as a brand is very jarring and having mm -hmm. some sort of self-awareness about it. Because, you know, I was like, I used to do crisis PR for brands. It is very easy to see how you have to do that for people now. <laughs> I love the, the brand thing. I want to stay on that for a second. Because I have a quote I actually want to... I wanted to bring up with you because Tell I just me. read Ginny O'Dell has a book coming out called How to Do Nothing. That is fantastic. Can't um, wait to read it. And she sort of resists the idea of a personal brand in a way that sounds like you may also be bristling against in a similar way. Yeah. Can you tell me what her idea of brand is? So I want to read you this quote. She says, when the language of advertising and personal branding enjoins you to, quote, be yourself, 
What it really means is, quote, be more yourself, where, quote, yourself is a consistent and recognizable pattern of habits, desires, and drives that be more easily advertised to and appropriated, like units of capital. In fact, I don't know what a personal brand is other than a reliable, unchanging pattern of snap judgments. Quote, I like this, and quote, I don't like this, with little room for ambiguity or contradiction. So the idea that her resistance to personal brands is it doesn't allow you to be a sort of dynamic, fluid person. It requires you to, like a brand, have these sort of core pillars that you are mm-hmm. oriented around and that always have to live up to. I mean, I agree and I disagree with that, right? I don't feel super conflicted about saying, like, people have personal brands. Like, you know, whatever. Sometimes that's a stand-in for literally your personality. Other times it's a stand-in for the thing that you're performing, like who you are. I think that people have been doing that way before technology. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that that's a new thing. I think that what is new is the particular way that you can monetize your brand, the people in the Greek square, whatever they were doing, uh, (laughs) only the people in the Greek square knew about. (laughs) Now it's it's everywhere. I think a thing that is really maddening to me in the brand, like the social brand economy and in the influencer economy is that everything is a binary. It's either good or it's bad or, you know, it's authentic or it's inauthentic. I was like, well, people are more complicated than that. And also, I think that a thing that I resist a lot to is placing a lot of emphasis on personal responsibility. Sure, like, am I in love that every, like, you know, like every teeny bopper wants to be a YouTube star? Absolutely not. I think some of it is really abhorrent. But, you know, I think the responsibility is on the platforms and the responsibility is on people who make decisions about technology, right? There is a serious structural and monetary incentive to turn into a monster on the internet. Like that is just, that's how these websites are built. And, And we do that with everything. It's why you have like counts. It's why you have follower accounts. It's why you have, what's the Instagram thing that they're doing now? Close friends. If that's not the most nefarious thing you've ever heard of, uh, you know, where you, there's so much of it is about signaling who you are, what's important to you, who is important to you. And it's just interesting to me that we feel that we have to signal that very publicly, you know, that that work cannot happen quietly. And I think that like, when I think about the work that I do, I, you know, I'm like, I'm definitely a capitalist sellout, but I also, I'm doing it with a purpose. Like, I don't think about the brand work that I do as work. It's a paycheck that I get to further, like, other things I want to do. Sometimes it's a vacation, 100%. It's shoes. I really want that stuff. But also, it's a real opportunity for me to be able to donate the kind of money that I want to donate to a lot of the charities that I care about. Or an opportunity to talk about a lot of things that I want to talk about, like ambition and power and money for women and have somebody pay for it. One of the things I admire is, is how you seem to use your platform almost exclusively for good, especially at a time where people are using it so frequently to tear other people down. <laughs> you actually had this great quote, or sorry, not quote, a great tweet that you have not deleted that was about... Check it tomorrow. It's probably all <laughs> <laughs> it said. Um, it said the reason your nemesis is thriving is because she submitted her book proposal slash wrote that script slash met her deadline slash made a therapy appointment slash made plans with friends slash is doing literally anything more productive than being on Twitter displaying unhealthy emotions, right? Oh, man. And so I'm curious how maybe your ability to not display unhealthy emotions on Twitter has evolved over time or what you've learned there about not using Twitter as a way to vent because it maybe doesn't seem the most 
to be the most constructive place to, to do that or to snap back at someone. So that tweet was, to be clear, was in reference to an article in The Atlantic about how you need nemesis to, like, get ahead huh. in life. A thing that drives me up the wall generally is venting just for the sake of venting. I was like, that's... Or, like, venting for the sake of venting on social media. I was like, nobody here is your friend. I can't stand people who are badly behave online. This is the one place where you can invent yourself. You can be an asshole to your family and friends. Like, those people will love you forever. That's what they're supposed to do. I'm like, I'm a dick to my family. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do there. Online, we don't know each other. I was like, we're not a family. This is conditional love. You just, you know, like, you be the best version of yourself. Is that possible? And so really what I was reacting to in that is, you know, a lot of people joke about having a nemesis. I was like, whatever makes you tick and, like, productive during the day or whatever, that's fine. I'm not discounting that. And I do think that there is a lot to be said about psyching yourself <laughs> psychologically to do things. Psyching yourself up. <laughs> right. But, you know, but the thing is that, like, once you start doing that at scale and everybody is talking about it, it takes a different kind of message, right? And I think that, like, for me, a lot of the subtext about that, too, is how are you using your time? Like, I'm really glad that I don't work in an office. Like, if I were a manager somewhere and I was watching my employees all fucking day shoot the shit around the internet water cooler, I would lose my mind. It's like, what are you doing? Every minute that you're spending here, it's time that you're not doing work. You know what I'm saying? It's like, when you're online, you're not working. Yes. That's just, like, yeah, true. Yeah. But there are also, like, real reasons that people don't work. Like, I have serious anxiety and depression issues. Like, I have mental health issues. What You know, I'm not saying that everybody has to be a machine. I'm just saying that, like, your words have power. And also, like, let's all be very honest that every minute that you spend fucking around on the internet is a minute that you're not doing something else that you could be doing. Yes. That's it. Yeah, I, in some ways, I this may not be a popular opinion among my colleagues, but, and I, I, I'm speaking from a privileged place of not having to use Slack that much because mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily writing on a daily basis, but I think Slack is, like, one of the greatest scams of the 21st century. <laughs> 100%. It's just an MSN chat room, but for, for your colleagues, basically. 100%. And here's the thing, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with, like, taking breaks or, you know, like, getting up and talking to your colleagues or having secret Slack rooms where you're complaining about other people in media. Like, whatever. <laughs> that and doesn't happen. That Come doesn't on. happen at all. You know, like, every... Everybody can do that. I just think that, wow, I can't believe I'm going to sound like a really old person. I just think that we are also just living in this time where it's really easy to, because of the tools that we have, it's really easy to just amplify each other's bad behavior, you know, and and to just, like, validate things that are not productive. But the other thing that I will say, too, is that if somebody tweets something that you don't like or somebody is, has an opinion about how you should be slacking or whatever, if you're really bothered by that, you should probably examine how you're living your life. But I think that there is just this idea that everything is a reflection of who you are and of your work and is some sort of, it's a referendum on what you're doing. And I just wish that more people would be, um, you would just like stand by your own convictions and you would be like, you would be proud about who you are and what you're putting out there. And it's fine that people don't agree with you. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, people get really fired up. I mean, I've, I've done this a number of times where someone has tweeted back at me and I've gotten really sort of viscerally upset. And I, it, it leads to a lot of self-examination because you're like, why am I getting so upset about this? You don't need the feedback. I think that there is a point in every social network where everybody feels like they know each other and it's like the small ecosystem and it's cute or whatever. And you have some sort of social tether. 
But the bigger the network becomes, the more there's just a lot of noise, yes. right? And I was like, you've also gotten what you need to get out of it. When somebody's like, I need to be here for work or I'm here for my career, it's like, dog, if you've been on Twitter for two years and you have not leveled up your career, maybe Twitter is not the place for you. <laughs> and also, what is a stranger going to tell you how to live your life? I read that you have called up your trolls in the past. Oh, my God. It's my favorite thing in the world. Okay, so please tell me about this. You say, hi, I'm Amina from the internet. Is that right? <laughs> First of all, I don't even know who told you that, but that's really good. Um, I saw it on the panel you moderated with uh, Ethan Zimmerman. Is that his name? And from MIT. Oh, my God. That was so long ago. Um, look Nard- at you. I narduard you. You did narduard me. That's amazing. The like the, the nerdiest narduard. Um <laughs> You know, it's happened a couple of times. It's not like a consistent thing that I do, but I, you know, for all of the stuff that I'm saying where I'm like, ugh, like, it shouldn't matter what people say to you or whatever. One thing that really does get up my craw is when people are racist towards me online. And even then, I will allow degrees. But if you call me the N-word, I, like, I can't handle it. I was like, I will scorch earth. Like, I will find you. And so a couple of times, a couple of times, like, people have... People have said, like, really egregiously racist things. And a thing that I always find interesting about trolls is that when you Google them, the only thing you can find about them is their real name (laughs) and usually where they work and where they live. Because these idiots don't have, like, serious digital footprints. I was like, if you Google me, there's, like, all sorts of nonsense on there. You're going to go, like, pretty far down to, like, find how to stalk me. And so the first time that it happened, it was, man, I think I actually, those tweets I saved somewhere. It was this kid in upstate New York somewhere who called me the N-word. And I obviously found his school. So first I told him that I was going to call his school. And I, like, 100% like reported him to his parents and his school. And he was losing his mind. He was like, I'm on a, I'm on a hockey scholarship. Don't do this to me. I'm so sorry. I, you know, like, he's like, I'm just a teenager. And I was like, I was just having a pleasant Saturday afternoon when you brought racism into my life. So you're going to fight, you're going to learn the consequences of this. And then a couple more times with like assholes who were all adults. And that phone call always gives me like so much happiness where you're like, hi, it's at Aminatu. Like you said this to me. And almost always they hang up the phone because they can't handle it. What happens when they don't hang up the phone? I mean, you like... I think almost every time they've hung up the phone, this one guy from Oklahoma, like, he hung up the phone and then I called back and I talked to his boss. And I was just like, hi, like, does Eric so-and-so work for you? Like, whatever his name was. And then I'm always like, I ask for an email, I send the thing. Or sometimes if I'm feeling pretty benevolent, I just email them, the person, and I was like, I have found you and I know you. So, like, don't do this shit to me anymore. But, yeah, it's not my proudest moment. I will say that it definitely comes from a place of being super irritated and it comes from a place of, I was like, I have the same instincts that they do. Like, sure, I'm not, you know, I was like, I'm not calling anybody a slur, but that thrill of finding out who that person is and tracking them down and making them feel scared in that moment, I'm not proud to say I really enjoy it. When you have reached someone on the phone or through email, has it ever led to like an apology or reconciliation? I mean. There's a couple of apologies, but I don't, I don't care about the apology. I was like, this is, you know, again, I was like, this is not my real life. You're not somebody in my community. You're somebody who did something really despicable. And if you're doing it to me, you're doing it to other people. It costs me nothing to like tell you to fuck off. I think that especially like as a woman, there's so much that you have to deal with online and offline and just this like constant danger and fear and weaponizing that like slightly against like assholes is, you know, again, I was like, I'm not proud, but it makes me feel pretty good. 
you've been able to create these sort of communities or networks that I'm not in them, but from what I can tell from the outside, seem to <laughs> seem to seem to be very safe and open and sort of foster vulnerability, which I think, again, to me, seems increasingly rare on the internet. I'm thinking specifically of Tech Lady Mafia. Mm-hmm. A, is that a fair characterization? And B, how sort of could you walk me through how maybe you've been able to to do that? I think it's fair with Tech Lady Mafia. It's fair with the podcast with Color Girlfriend. It's fair with probably some of my social media. You know, I think that it's a careful kind of vulnerability. Maybe I am an oversharer. I was like, maybe that's just what it is. But there are certain things where I just feel like it's, I have found it more helpful to disclose that I needed help than feeling proud or ashamed about the fact that, you know, like something was going on with me. So like mental health is one of those things. And having cancer is another one of those things where I was like, you know, like there's no, I don't understand why you're supposed to feel ashamed about being sick or why you're supposed to feel ashamed that, you know, your brain is broken or I don't know, that you like struggle with with money. And I just find that if you create a space where you are honest about what you're going through, that it gives other people permission to do the same thing for them. Yeah, it reminds me of something we were talking about a little bit earlier where it's like if you try to put up this image of yourself online as having it all together, Mm -hmm. it cracks very easily and shatters. Right, and I don't have it all together. I think that that's that's another thing, right, is that I am acutely aware... I'm acutely aware of all of the cracks, all of, you know, every, I always say I'm like, my whole life is in shambles. Every, probably every morning, that's what I tell myself. In this regard, I'm very much like a 19-year-old rapper. Like, I hate fake shit, and I hate disrespect. Um, but the Without fake, any of the face tattoos. I, you guys any, can't see her, so listen, I just like to, yeah. I am gonna, I'm getting an ice cream cone imminently on my <laughs> left cheek. So when you wake up in the morning and you metaphorically or maybe out loud say my life is in shambles out loud every day what does that what does that do for you (laughs) um i think that it's a reminder that you know like life is hard life is hard at whatever level that you're at like i have been i've been sicker than this i've been less sick than this i have made more money than this i've made slightly less money than this i've been happier and like my relationships in this less happy and i was like life is always hard there is not a thing that just like makes it Amazing, And I think that, like, for me, I definitely, like, I'm a little bit of a misanthrope. And I think that that's something that motivates me. And it's just important for me to remember. I was like, life is life is hard. The other shoe is going to drop. But it doesn't mean that we're, you know, like, we're not going to get shit done today. What type of cancer did you have? I had endometrial cancer. And it's in remission? It is in remission. Fingers crossed, yes. And this is a broad question, but I'm yeah. curious, going through that and what maybe changed in your perspective of what you learned from that experience that maybe shifted something for you? So a lot of my my sense of worth and personality were 100% wrapped into work. I just, my identity had a lot to do with what I did for work. And when I got sick, that's the last thing I thought about. And I was like, oh, I like actually don't give a shit about work. I do work because, you know, like we have bills to pay, we have vacations we want to go on or whatever. But I was like, this is being the person that stays at the office till 9 p.m. because something has to get done. That's the thing I've been lying to myself about for years that I was that was really important to me. And I think, yeah, you know, it's it's all very cliche, right? It's like when you are confronted with something like that, your life reorganizes like pretty fast. Like mm-hmm. the things that matter bubble up to the top. The things that don't matter just fall by the wayside. And, you know, and it's not to say that I don't care about creating a body of work. Like I care about that a lot. I just, this idea that, the, the ways that I've been working myself into the ground, basically, are that's something that completely disappeared for me. Hmm. And I think that really rethinking 
a lot of my relationships and thinking about how I want to be spending my time and just like how short life is. Like illness is like one big cliche. It's like why like any illness memoir is like the worst because everybody's telling you the same thing. They're like, life is short. We're all going to die. And you're like, well, you know, like that's true. This New York, you could get hit by a bus like today. Like you, death is actually imminent all <laughs> every moment of your life. Uh, getting sick is not the thing that should remind you of that. <laughs> Really being more thoughtful about how I spend my time and who I spend my time with, I think, is something that was really top of mind. Speaking of spending your time mm-hmm. and attention, obviously you spend a lot of time talking about your online presence. How do you protect, like you're writing a book right now, mm-hmm. how do you protect time to work productively offline? <sighs> Man, that's been really hard because so I'm writing a memoir called Big Friendship with my friend Ann Friedman that I host the Call Your Girlfriend podcast with. It turns out that's the secret to cranking out a book <laughs> is you just have to do a little bit every day. And... It's a lot of work, man. Like, you get so much done and you, you know, and I'm a compulsive, like, I look at the word count every 15 words, like, that's the kind of asshole that I am, because I just, I was like, this is what I signed up for. And basically, we made a pact that we wouldn't pick up any more work. It was like, as long as you can do it after hours, you know, so it's like, want to do your influencer thing and post a tweet at 9 p.m., that's not my problem. You want to do a speaking gig on the weekend, like, fine. But we are beholden to each other to only work on this book until July. And hmm. so that's how we're protecting our time. Okay. But, you know, it's it's been really good. This I always thought that I was good at saying no. Some people always like, I can't say no. And I, like, I had lied to myself completely that I was, like, great at saying no. And I never I overextended myself. And now that I have to say no, like, I literally have a forum email that's just like, hi, thanks for your interest. Like, I can't join you. I'm a book deadline. <laughs> like, a thing where I'm just, like, copy-paste. Now that I have to do it, and sometimes it makes me really queasy, and I have a little bit of FOMO, or, you know, or sometimes I really want to do a favor for a friend or whatever— I am realizing that actually saying no is really hard. Hmm. It is incredibly hard. And the only way to get better at it is to consistently do it all of the time. Like, that's the only way that you can protect your time is to say no and to say no forcefully because people also just don't respect your boundaries. And, like, I'm going to have to go Oprah on you. No is a complete sentence. (laughs) just said no. Thank you for saying yes to this. Well, you know, you caught me on my week off. Also, <laughs> anything for Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shout out Chris Gayomali. He makes everything happen at GQ. You also mentioned earlier about getting asked about influencing. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get paid for this thing? Yeah, I'm curious what the most common question you get from people is. Man, the most useless question I always get from people is like, can I pick your brain? Like, I hate that. I was like, that is not a specific ask. <laughs> I literally have a, a Gmail folder for that where it just like if you say coffee or pick your brain, ah. it goes straight there. And if I'm feeling generous once a month, I'll peruse it because I just think that it's it's shorthand for I don't know you very well. How can I waste your time for two hours and also like make you pay for your own coffee? Also, I don't drink coffee. Um, so that is generally a useless kind of query. I think that if you don't know someone, you should probably ask them a specific question. People will ask, like, how do I, like, yeah, how do I become an influencer? And I'm like, girl, I don't know. (laughs) Become influential. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't know. We're living in this, like, scam economy. Like, people just get picked. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, (laughs) And I will be really honest, like, none of the brand work, like, that kind of influencer brand work that I do, none of it have I gone after. Like, Mm -hmm. literally, like, people ask you. And so I do think that 
a lot of times, like, what people really want to get at is how do I get a visible enough platform that I get shit for free? Mm -hmm. Like, that's always the underlying question. And I'm like, I don't know that. You should probably become an actor or a celebrity. <laughs> Those kinds of questions are always very weird to me because the subtext is, like, how do I become you? Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and people are very bad at asking that question. And also that question is generally, like, it's not a good question and it's usually not answers that you want, right? I think that... To me, it's so much more interesting to to ask people about how they work or how they got to different points in mm -hmm, their career mm -hmm. and see if there's any connective tissue there or, you know, figuring that out. But we're just, we're living in a time too where like work is very weird right now. Yes, yeah, Work yeah, is yeah. just like very weird. It's like some people work in offices, some people do not. And we're all trying to figure it out. <laughs> Was there a moment where you were like, you woke up and you're like, oh shit, I'm an influencer now. You know, I still don't feel that way. Okay. I don't feel that way at all. I think that you have to do it at a pretty large scale to be considered an influencer. That's weird. I'm also not online consistently enough that I will ever allow myself to be an influencer. Like, I haven't been on Instagram in, like, forever. But I also, you know, I think maybe I will get there. But it's just a very, it's a label that's very weird. Also, I'm mm -hmm. like, I went to college. Like, this is not what I want to do for a living. Yeah. You know, like, I'm lucky that I get to do it. But this is not an Olivia Jade situation. Like, I <laughs> I have things I want to do with my life. And so, yeah. But that's interesting to me, too, that it, like, has become a pejorative in some ways. Like, why do you think influencer seems to carry a negative connotation? I, You know, I, uh, I think everybody has their reasons. I think that for me specifically, the reason that I do not take it seriously is that, one, most people who are influencers are not people I want to be influenced by. Mm -hmm. I was like, these people all have the worst taste. So it's like 100% <laughs> like a snobbery, like, ugh like a queasiness about that. And I also think that it's just like really interesting who chooses that title for themselves and also who is given that title, you know? And I think that, am I a person with a public facing platform who does like interesting like brand work? Absolutely. Am I an influencer? I don't know, man. You know, like <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's like, it's everybody who gets paid 500 bucks to post on Instagram are they an influencer? You know, like what are you influencing? How deep does it go? So then can I ask what the end game sort of is then? I mean, it seems like you've cultivated a pretty unbelievable network. You know, I don't have an end game. I 100% like, you know, like not to get all sad sack about it, but like getting sick last year, I like a thing I think that I'm dealing with now is that I was really prepared to go through treatment because I love a plan. I was like, when I found out that I had cancer, I was actually kind of relieved because I'd been sick for so long. And I was like, great, it has a name. There are things that we can do. Yeah. And I love that shit. I was like, yes, like, let's do the treatment plan. Who cares if it works or it doesn't work? But that's like one way to stay busy. And I had really prepared for going through treatment. What I hadn't prepared for was surviving that. And so I'm in this like very weird space where I'm really grateful to be alive. It's like pretty lit being alive. It's great. The weather is nice today. You know, like love my friends, love the TV schedule right now. Like shoot it, like being alive is amazing. It's great. But I'm still not at a place where I'm thinking long term. You know, it's just like very cliche. Like every day is a gift. Like who knows what tomorrow will bring. And so I think that when, when that ties back into work, like, I don't have an end game. I was like, God, I hope I get to pay my rent. I <laughs> hope I get to go on the vacations I want to go on. I hope I get to save some money. And I hope that I, you know, I don't have to work with assholes and I can wake up and, like, make a thing for myself. That's as far as I've thought about it. The last question we ask on this podcast oh, man. is 
for a favorite fuck up? Ugh. Like the film of fuck ups that are just <laughs> <laughs> passing through my brain. Actually, this is one that is very, uh, it's like very internet y and stupid. But a, mi- a million years ago, Anne and I used to, when we started collaborating together online, we started this blog called Instaboner. And it was like, it was great. It was just like links and like shit that you cared about or whatever. And uh, we made it into a WordPress as Tumblr was taking off and newsletters. And to this day, it is like one of my, I was like, you know what? If I had stuck to that, actually, I would be an influencer today because (laughs) it was a fucking platform fail. And people loved it. And we just like never kept up with it. And it is one of these, like, it sounds really, really dumb, but it's one of these things that every once in a while I was like, oh man, for somebody who spends a lot of time online and like does this for work, I can't believe that I, you know, I was like, could have coasted on that dumb, like that dumb blog for a while. And instead I just let it go. So who has Instaboner now? (sighs) You know, it's just died in the internet trash pile (laughs) with every other specialty Tumblr that I ever had. But yeah, so that seems like a minor fuck up that I'm happy to share about. There you go. (laughs) All right, well, Amina So, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Are you guys hiring at GQ? Can I come work here? That's above my pay grade. But yeah, you have my recommendation, <laughs> certainly. GQ was the first magazine I bought with my own money when I was learning English. Wow. Yeah. I was like an OG, like the only. Do you know how much work it is to get GQ in Africa? Like the I, amount of strings you have to pull. How did you get it? It was so we had to subscribe, and then it was like the diplomatic mail would bring it, but it was so much money. And my parents didn't want to pay for it because they were like, this looks like a smutty magazine. So I had to pay for it myself. And wow. it was a lot, but I was like, ugh, I like the pictures, the English is fine, let's do this. So, Did you learn anything? I learned so much, mostly about how men should wear denim. <laughs> so remains true, it remains true to this day. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. That's the show. Thanks so much to Amina for coming on. You heard she has a busy schedule, so really appreciate her. Be sure to check out her podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, with her co-host, Ann Friedman. Keep an eye out for her upcoming book, Big Friendship, also with Ann Friedman. Thanks to Chris Gayamali for being generally wonderful and convincing Amina to come on. Thanks to Jessamyn Molly, our producer. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you like the episode, subscribe, review. If you're an influencer, influence people to listen to this episode and future episodes. I'm Clay Skipper. Emails in the show notes. Send me thoughts, questions, feedback, guest recommendations, anything you want. No nudes. <laughs>